Hi, I'm Regan. I'm Marie. And you're listening to POV from Two Wing Three. Today, we are going to explain the Enneagram. We figured it'd be a good time to do an explanation episode. If this is your first time hearing that word and you have no idea what the heck we're talking about, this episode is for you. If you already know what the Enneagram is, we go a bit more in depth on what it means to be a type two and um, more specifically a two wing three. So stick around. And we by no means claim to be Enneagram coaches. We're just interested in it and we feel like it does describe us very well. Maybe it'll be something that you're interested in too. We encourage you to give it a try and go take the free test on the Enneagram Institute page. Uh, They go more in depth. So if you're curious for more information, please be sure to check that out. So a quick overview. We don't know the exact history behind the Enneagram, like we as a society. It's greatly disputed as to where it kind of originated. There are ties to Judaism, Christianity, Sufism, and Greek philosophy. We do know when it reached the American shores in 1960. The Enneagram is a model of the human psyche categorized into nine different personality types. It's used in business management, kind of along with the Myers-Briggs or the Strength Finder. I know my parents talk about those. Um, And it's also used in spiritual communities in order to identify and understand your personal and spiritual self. This test really encourages you to work on your kind of personal and spiritual development. And it looks primarily at your emotions and how you manage them, how you interact with the world around you, and more. Whatever kind of main trait or core trait you have, that is the lens through which you see the world. Yeah, so we're just going to go through briefly about each different personality type in the Enneagram, so the nine. And I'll just kind of throw out a few words that describe each one. So a type one is categorized as an instinctive personality. So they're principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and professionistic. A type two is a feeling personality, and they are generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, and possessive. And a type three is also a feeling personality, and they are adaptable, excelling, driven, and image conscious. And the type four is the last of the feeling personalities, and they are expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Uh, Type 5 is the first of the thinking personalities, and they are perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Uh, Type 6 is also a thinking personality. They are engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. Type 7 is the last thinking personality. They are spontaneous, versatile, and scattered. And then the type 8 is also an instinctive personality like the type one and they are self-confident decisive willful and confrontational and the type nine last type is also an instinctive personality they are receptive reassuring complacent and resigned it's important to note with a lot of with all of this is that uh, people don't change from one basic personality type to another this is your personality type throughout your life this is how you see the world All the descriptions of the personality types are universal and apply equally to male and female, since no type is inherently masculine or feminine. Uh, Not everything in the description of your basic type will apply to you all the time. So you constantly fluctuate between the healthy, average, and unhealthy traits that make up your personality type. And we'll get into that in a little bit. 
Also important is that the numerical ranking of the types is not significant at all. A large number is no better than a smaller number, and it is not better to be a nine than a two because nine is a bigger number. Marie, do you want to talk about the wings for a little bit? Yes. As we're talking about this, the Enneagram figure itself is a circle with lines throughout it. And we'd encourage you to look up an image so that these next two parts kind of make sense. But yeah, so the wings, several Enneagram theorists teach that a person's core type is modified by the two adjacent types on the Enneagram figure. They're called wings. And so like a person with a two personality type like Reagan and myself is understood to have points one and three as their possible wings. Wings just help add more detail to your core type. So you can have characteristics of a little bit of each adjacent wing, but they don't modify or change your main core type. You have all these connecting lines in the Enneagram figure called the security or stress points or points of integration and disintegration. Some theorists believe these connected points also contribute to a person's overall personality. From this viewpoint, the two points connected by the lines to the core type and the two wing points can affect a person's overall personality. So Marie, do we want to start talking specifically about the type two? So twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted. They are friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing, but can also be sentimental, flattering, and people-pleasing. They are well-meaning and driven to be close to others, but can slip into doing things for others in order to be needed. They typically have problems with possessiveness and with acknowledging their own needs. Their main motivations for doing things is that they want to be loved, to express their feelings for others, to be needed and appreciated, to get others to respond to them, to vindicate their claims about themselves, etc. The two's basic fear is of being unwanted or unworthy of being loved. Their basic desire is to feel loved. The Enneagram 2 with a one wing, that is called the servant. And the Enneagram 2 with a three wing, or you know what Reagan and I are, that is called the host or the hostess. As we said before, we're generous. Um, we go out of our way for others. It makes us feel the most meaningful when we do that. That gives us a purpose. Um, and the twos are most interested in love, closeness, sharing, family, and friendship. When we are healthy and balanced, we're endlessly loving. <laughs> we like to think so. Uh, endlessly loving, helpful, generous, and considerate. People tend to be drawn to twos for their warmth, constant appreciation, and attention. Also, so healthy twos are someone who sees people as they are. We understand other people with immense compassion. We help and encourage with infinite patience. <laughs> Marie, do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so infinite patience. Um, I can already tell my parents are going to laugh at that because I am the least patient person on the planet. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on it. So there are some things within the Enneagram that you might not necessarily identify with or Maybe you do at certain times of your life and not at others. And infinite patience is definitely one of those that I don't super identify with, but I'm working on it. Yeah, I would say the same. There are times when I just want to just do something or I just need to know the answer. Or I need to know what someone thinks. And it definitely comes from a place of like wanting to control. But I, I wanted to touch on two of 
this phrase of understands others with immense compassion. And I think that that's really important for twos because we are feeling Enneagram. So we always approach from how we would have felt in that situation. And I think that's really important. Like for me, at least when I give advice or I am comforting someone else or I'm trying to approach a situation, I really try to make sure that the other person feels no shame, that they feel uh, that they are seen and heard in that situation. So we also are always willing to lend a hand and we know how and when to let go, which not always, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, healthy twos also open the hearts of those around them because ours are so open already. Twos will show others how to be more deeply and richly human. I think that's so beautiful, deeply and richly human, because to be human is to feel. We have all these experiences and the way we respond to them is what makes us who we are. We are very good at feeling through all of our emotions and we really do feel through all the highs and the lows. And so it's kind of like a roller coaster in a lot of ways. I mean, when I look at myself, sometimes I'll talk to myself and I'm like, we need to get it together. Like I'll address myself as a group. <laughs> There's like multiple parts of my psyche that are like kind of in flux at all times. Perhaps the biggest obstacle facing twos and our inner kind of work in turmoil is having to face the underlying center fear of worthlessness and shame. Those are extremely present in our lives, maybe more so than other people would feel. First, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of all that is Brene Brown, of course, and her books and all have really helped me a lot to combat these feelings, this core feeling, this core motivation of survival for us, right? Yeah, I think that I, when I look at that, I immediately know that I've always been motivated from a place of shame. And I don't know exactly like how that came to be. And I don't know that how I developed it. And I'm still working on that. I'm getting better at recognizing it. If I don't have anything to do one day, I feel a lot of shame around that because I feel the need to be productive or to be somewhere for someone else or to be of service to others in a way, right? Um, Not exactly like explicitly of service to others. But when I'm selfish is when I feel the shame and the worthlessness. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Beneath the surface, two's fear that they are without value in themselves. And so they must feel that they should be doing something extraordinary in order to win love and acceptance from others. But I remember having a conversation pretty recently with um, one of my brothers and his um, significant other. And we were talking about, you know, like, what are you most proud of in your life? Where do you feel love? Things like that. And I talked about um, being in choir and organizing like concerts and things like that. And I explicitly remember saying, I just wanted to like make my family proud and I just wanted them to see all the hard work that I did. And I wanted, you know, them to be really proud of me and love me for that. And it was just like a moment I had to step back and I was like, wait, but I'm in choir because I like the music, right? I'm not doing this just because I want my family to, you know, love me for it. It's interesting, you know, the motivations behind why we do certain things. In the average to unhealthy levels in the two, 
tattoos present a false image of being completely generous and unselfish and not wanting of any kind of payoff for themselves, when in fact, they can have enormous expectations and unacknowledged emotional needs. <laughs> Facts. Yes. 100%. I think this is so important. We are, like we said before, we're very astute at recognizing what other people need because we've never been we've never felt that we've gotten those needs filled and so we're constantly giving of ourselves in the hopes that we ultimately receive that back which is really hard because then that begs the question philosophically are your intentions good we can save that for another episode so that's a whole other thing in itself (laughs) average to unhealthy twos seek validation of their worth by obeying their superego's demands to sacrifice themselves for others. So we think that the more that we sacrifice ourselves for others, the more worth we feel that we have. We believe that we must always put others first and be loving and unselfish to get love. And that can be really taxing. (laughs) The problem is that putting others first makes twos secretly angry and resentful, feelings that they work hard to repress or deny. I actually just talked to my parents about this today, but sometimes I feel exhausted um, planning gatherings and getting all my friends together because I am always the one that makes that first step and I am always the one that plans those things. No one else ever wants to do that. I don't always necessarily feel this way. It's usually when I'm unbalanced or unhealthy, but I feel resentment toward people for that, even though I've never expressed it. So, I mean, how would they know that I was mad at them or resented them? You know, I go through these stages of planning everything and making things happen and I rarely get thanked for it. So when I do get thanked, it makes it feel work worthwhile. You know, my work is validated and noticed, and that means a lot to me. And one of the classic, I feel like maybe this is just a Minnesotan thing, but one of the classic things to do when you get a compliment or anything like that, I say like, oh, it's not a big deal or, you know, things like that. Like I really play down how much work it really, you know, it was to host or plan. For the most part, I love planning and I love seeing my friends and I love gathering all together, but there are some moments where I feel like I'm in a desert of like, okay, do my friends actually like me? Like, I'm always the one putting in the effort. Like, I'm always the one making these groups happen. Like, what's going on? And I can feel angry and resentful toward my friends for that. Thank you for sharing all that. I think that that's really important to acknowledge as a two. We're not always so happy and Mm -hmm. 100% all the time, even if we show it. That way, part of that is that we are denying those negative emotions or there's still emotions. I don't like using that phrase of negative emotions, but I did the same thing the other night. I downplayed something that I did just like that. It was my brother's birthday and I made chocolate chip cookies and I found this recipe ages ago that just make the absolute perfect chocolate chip cookies. I make them a lot. And one of the boys for his little party like came up to my mom and was like miss kelly did you make these and i was like oh i did but it's just a recipe what the heck reagan like just acknowledge the fact that like you made them and they are great it's part of that like that want to be selfless like oh the attention's not on me like this is just me helping other people like no it's no big deal like that kind of yeah but really it is a big deal (laughs) very eventually a two when they're in that stage for too long angry and resentful they will erupt in various ways you know there's going to be an outburst um and it might disrupt a two's relationship you know just kind of revealing the inauthenticity of what they feel you know um and so 
it can be really tricky and it's a fine line to walk with the two, you know, when they're unbalanced. But Reagan, why don't you start us off talking about the healthy levels of a two, you know, at their best? Yeah. Uh, the level one is the at their best. And this is when a two is deeply unselfish, humble, and altruistic. They give unconditional love to others and themselves. That's important too. And they feel it is a privilege to be in the lives of others. Yeah, that last sentence really sticks out to me. Feel it is a privilege to be in the lives of others. I am constantly saying to my friends and my family members like, oh, I am so honored to be your friend. Like I am blessed by your presence. Like I'm so lucky to be alive at the same time as you, which I truly mean. Like this isn't just me like buttering people up. Like these are my true thoughts of like, wow, like I could be anywhere in the world, but I get to be your friend here. Like I ended up being here and I get to know you. And like, I truly feel those emotions. And I, I just love that feeling. It's so wholesome. I think that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that you've said that to me. And I remember like my heart melted. I was just like, what the heck, Marie? When a two says it to another two, the world implodes a little bit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And again, important to note between all of these, as we discuss these levels is that as a two or any any Enneagram, you can kind of weave in and out of them. Maybe some parts of your personality are at level one and other parts are at like level eight in like the way you react to things. So just keep that in mind. A level two is empathetic, compassionate, and feeling for others. They're caring and concerned about others' needs and they're thoughtful, warm-hearted, forgiving, and sincere. I think that's important to note that the sincere, what are their intentions when being kind-hearted to others? And the level three of the healthy levels is encouraging and appreciative, and they are able to see the good in others. Service is extremely important to them, and it takes care of self too. So they are nurturing, generous, and giving a truly loving person. I think that something important for me, at least, with throughout these healthy levels is that there is a balance between taking care of self and taking care of others. It's not just like this, oh, so selfless person that is just completely giving. They also don't pour from an empty cup. Like to add Mm -hmm. anything to that? Yeah, I guess I just wanted to say I personally think I sit at like a level three and a level four most of the time a level four dips into the average levels but I think when I'm feeling very like rounded and whole and healthy in every level like I can see myself at a one and I can think of instances where I've been at a one or a two but I think primarily just every day I sit at like a level three or level four where do you think you sit most of the time yeah that's a great question like a level three level four would probably be the same for me because uh, as I mentioned earlier it's a balance for me of being kind to self and being kind to others because you know I have so much shame when I am kind to myself or I put myself first or even in a social situation where I say no actually that's not what I want to do. So Marie do you want to start talking about some of these average levels? So the average levels are levels four through six. A level four they want to be closer to others so they start people pleasing you know they become overly friendly emotionally demonstrative and full of good intentions about everything. They give a lot of attention, like approval and flattery. Love is their supreme value and they talk about it constantly. (laughs) (laughs) I love to say, you know, I'm a textbook people pleaser and I don't think people actually understand how deeply I mean that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A level five, you become um, overly intimate and intrusive. You know, they need to be needed. So they hover, 
meddle and control in the name of love. They want others to depend on them. So they give, but expect a return. You know, they kind of often send mixed messages. They're very enveloping and possessive. The codependent, self-sacrificial person who cannot do enough for others, wearing themselves out for everyone, creating needs for themselves to fulfill. And so it, it definitely goes back into that question of like, all right, what are my real intentions behind this what do you have to add yeah I would definitely agree with that I kind of dip into this sometimes when I feel out of control like if there is a situation or a relationship in which I feel like it's not where I want it to be which that's questionable but um I will do this kind of like hover in a way like it's almost like you're waiting for them to say something then when they don't, you kind of ask questions and important here are the phrases in the name of love. In the back of your mind, it's like, I need to save this. Like I'm doing the right thing, but the way you're doing it is not good for either person or anyone in the situation. Um, so the last level then, level six of the average levels is um, twos become increasingly self-important and self-satisfied. They feel that they are indispensable although they overrate their efforts in other or on others' behalf. They can be overbearing, patronizing, and presumptuous. Between level five and level six is probably the farthest I've gone or dipped. I don't think I've ever dipped into the unhealthy levels. There are definitely some moments where I can think of being patronizing or, or condescending where I think I'm being helpful and offering advice because I'm just so out of whack. It's coming out from the wrong intentions or from the wrong words that I'm saying and things like that. I can definitely think of moments where I've been, you know, like that. Okay, so the last section of levels is the unhealthy levels. And I agree with you, Marie. I don't think that I've dipped into these too often. I would say level seven, I've kind of dipped in on like off chances, like off little situations, but not like on a consistent basis. So the level seven can be manipulative and self-serving, instilling guilt by telling others how much they owe them and make them suffer. They will abuse food and medication to stuff feelings down and get sympathy. I think it's important there to get sympathy. They will undermine people making belittling, disparaging remarks, and they're extremely self-deceptive about their motives and how aggressive and or selfish their behavior is. What I what that sentence says to me is denial, denial, denial. If I'm with my brothers or something, yeah, like I'll make these kind of like belittling, disparaging remarks if I feel like they're attacking me, obviously, because they're like my siblings, but still like that's a unhealthy manifestation of my personality. I think to get sympathy is important here because like we need to feel needed. We need to feel wanted. And so someone else giving us that sympathy fulfills all of what we're doing. If we're acting at a level seven, then someone acknowledging and giving us that validation lets us continue this denial, which is so fascinating to me. So let's see. So level eight is domineering and coercive. They feel entitled to get anything that they want from others. And this can include the repayment of old debts, money, and sexual favors. I don't think that I've ever dipped down into this. What about you, Marie? <laughs> no, I've never dipped down into there. It's kind of scary to like, look at these, like we were just talking about this before we started recording and Reagan was saying like, reading over some of the bad qualities, I felt so defensive about it. And looking at like level eight and nine, I look at that and I'm like, oh my God, people are going to think we're so awful. Like, <laughs> but truly like when you're so unhealthy and so unbalanced in that moment, some messy shit can come out. And so it's really difficult to be like, you know, we all have these really dark parts in, in us and 
whether you access them or not knowingly or not it's just life you know like we all have that part in us so as much as we want to get defensive and say no 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 we're not mean people we're not bad people it's important to remember that that's not who we are but it's what we can become at an unhealthy spot in life yeah thank you for explaining that that was really concise and I really appreciate you saying all that our last unhealthy level is the level nine and at this level a two is able to excuse and rationalize that what they do since they feel abused and victimized by others and are bitterly resentful and angry these aggressions can result in chronic health problems as we vindicate ourselves by falling apart and burdening others. So I think, again, like that's that sympathy thing of I need to be needed and I need to be loved and I need to feel love. So falling apart is a way to test almost how much someone else loves us. All right. So now after that kind of big explanation of a two, the good and the bad. We're going to go into what it means to be a two-wing three. So just like how each type has a name, so do their wings. So the two-wing three, as said before, is the host or the hostess. The Enneagram type two-wing three fears being unwanted or worthless. They usually avoid that by building personal connections with others and working hard to meet the needs of the community. Their most basic desire is to be loved and accepted, and they may express this by being extremely attentive and attached to people and hosts tend to suppress their their own negative emotions which when done frequently can lead to high levels of stress or unexpected outbursts i can think of a very um specific conversation i know i've had with you on the phone about a certain person in my life and just kind of i didn't have a good outlet to let that out and i remember just calling you and kind of just yelling for like a good solid whatever just letting it out Probably the most visceral outburst I've ever had in my life was over the summer. And I just remember my mom looking at me like, where is this coming from? Oh. Like, kind of scared. <laughs> I felt so bad, but it doesn't happen often, but it definitely can. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, definitely. I agree with the unexpected outburst. And I think that unexpected is the most important word there because we don't expect it either. It's not like, like, yes. all right. I'm just going to start screaming. Like, it's definitely that buildup of emotions from the high levels of stress and that denying of the self. And then we just explode because we can only do that for so long. It's also not always screaming, yeah. too. Like, even though that is false, like, very true. But, like, it can just be manifesting your energy in different ways that you wouldn't necessarily do that. You know, it's kind of an unexpected way that your body's trying to get out this stress and you know this kind of anger or whatever I think for me sometimes it manifests itself as like my brain just shuts down a body mm -hmm. will make make me manifest symptoms of anxiety physically so then my body's like hey hello hello like we're not okay can you please slow down and then that makes me take a step back and say whoa okay maybe I need to have a me night the outburst mm -hmm. doesn't have to necessarily mean literally the outburst True. That's a great point. <laughs> so some strengths of the two wing three. We have an optimistic worldview and upbeat attitude. We love building deep personal connections. We are very adaptable in stressful situations, which is a quality I pride myself on. <laughs> um, as the choir assistant in college, I really perfected this skill and honestly love it when things go wrong because I have like a passion for solving problems. 
And that also kind of goes with a little bit of like the gifted and talentedness of that intellectual side of like, oh, I love problems and I love being able to solve them. I am so proud of being adaptable in stressful situations. (laughs) Another strength is communicating clearly and effectively and a passion for serving others. One of the, or some of the weaknesses of a two-wing three is we have a tendency to be overly competitive or obsessive, not acknowledging their own needs. Do you have anything to say about that one? Yeah, like I mentioned before, this one is a huge weakness because it shows where all of our motivations come from. Like we don't acknowledge our own needs because we feel shame around it. I find that when I do acknowledge my own needs, even if like I make that first step, my first instinct is to endlessly apologize for being human and putting myself first. This happens on my end and Marie's when we call each other and we express our feelings or we start crying or we just get really emotional about something. And then the, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you had to listen to that. Oh my gosh, you're just so great. Like those kind of phrases start coming in and it's like, why? And here it is, the shame. Yeah, we don't want to acknowledge our own needs or acknowledge our own weaknesses even so like if we have those moments and we have them a lot we cry to each other quite often yeah (laughs) but it's so interesting and I mean that's a great commentary on gender as well even to like women have just been raised to you know apologize and things like that when they shouldn't we shouldn't apologize for emotions we shouldn't feel bad that we're feeling these things but we do you know we're expected to be happy all the time and put on a good face and we do cry and we shouldn't apologize for it but we do (laughs) totally agree I love that you brought that up because I think that it points to the idea of negative and positive emotions and how unhealthy that is for us to internalize because crying is cathartic we need it we need Mm -hmm. to get these emotions out or else we'll explode um another weakness is taking criticism personally which holy crap any teacher, boss, the minute they say anything even slightly critical, like I'm walking out of the room crying. Like I can't, I can't do it. If they tell me, oh, maybe you should have done it this way. I just shut down for the rest of the month. I'm like, no. (laughs) I love the way you frame that. Like I shut down for the rest of the month. I agree. Like, because I think it comes from our, like we're constantly doing things for others. So how could they say this about us? Where did this come from? What did I do wrong? Like, and then you go into that spiral of I'm an awful person. And it's just, so unhealthy for me personally the you statements those get me when someone just says you blah blah blah, and I'm like oh no end of the world everything's blowing up earth is gone (laughs) yep (laughs) I think that's also where shame comes into play too of like we take everything personally whether or not the person means it that way but because we it's just the way that our personality is or the way that our brain works like shame immediately just takes center stage in that moment and we just can't handle that and it's it's really difficult. And it's not to say that we can never hear criticism or we'll never be good at it. I mean, it's something that we, both of us, I think, have to work on. Yes. (laughs) Eventually, I think we'll get there. But there's just some moments where it's, it could be even just like, oh, you didn't cook the carrots long enough or something stupid like that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a horrible chef. (laughs) Like, oh my God, they don't love me. Like, it's so dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) And I really love what you said about shame taking center stage. And I think that that's really important. And I love, I love, I just love the way you phrased that. Um, And the last weakness of the two wing three, or not the last weakness, but one of the, you know, weaknesses that we've covered, um, criticizing themselves and others when under pressure, which I am guilty of doing. And it's unfortunate. I don't, I don't like that. I sometimes criticize other people when I'm under pressure, but I've definitely done that like on, 
choir tours or choir concert days, like moments where something went wrong and I had assigned it to someone and they didn't do it. Like I get so accusatory of them and criti- critical and it's, it's not a good feeling. It's not, especially when you step, step away from it by a day or two, you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Or I wish I hadn't thought that, you know, that kind of a thing. I would say the same, like when I'm under pressure, it's everybody else's fault. It's never my fault. All right. Well, do we want to jump into some other characteristics of the two wing threes? Uh, Let's see. So we've got twos care deeply about people and want to inspire them to live up to their potential. I feel that a lot. I always want others to feel the same growths and epiphanies that I've had. So if there's like a quote or whatever, like I do this all the time. I always post them on Snapchat or Instagram, whatever, like we're sharers. We love to share our feelings and our emotions and we want to feel like we're not the only one feeling that. I always find that I want to be a part of other people's like emotional growth and helping them to get to their best selves. I'm like, yes, let me just like be the one that saves everyone, right? Like I don't, it's not something that I like about myself and I'm working on a lot like when we talk about careers and stuff this plays a big role for me of like I want to be inspiring in the fact that I'm not selfish that I show people and I'm like an an example how to overcome that shame and like how to get past those parts of ourselves that don't that that inhibit us from becoming our best selves if that makes sense so Oh gosh, I feel like I just thank you for sharing that. Rant, but, yep, there goes two and three. Okay, don't I will apologize. not apologize. Don't thank apologize. you for acknowledging <laughs> my words. <laughs> We're having a moment, so you never want to appear needy, <laughs> unsuccessful, or vulnerable. Yeah, I I really struggle with asking for help. I hate asking for help. I just don't yeah, want people to think I, that I'm I've weak. Had to, I hate like, that. <laughs> help you with that a lot, which is great, and like it's not that like I had to do it. You know, it's something that like I've noticed is a common trend for you is like. <laughs> you'll say, oh, I have all these things to do. And I'm like, well, you can ask this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, they will definitely say yes. Yeah, I'm like, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. It's fine. And then you you are usually the one to pick up the pieces afterwards where I'm like crying or upset or whatever. And you're like, man, if only well, she had just asked someone for help. <laughs> but yes, yes, it, that's usually the cycle. Uh, and I definitely think <laughs> that the unsuccessful is important for me. Like I'm okay with asking for help from people that kind of differs between us, but unsuccessful is really important. I think that like failure ties very closely with shame. And so for me, like about to graduate, like, of course, I want to be a successful human being for myself. And how do I get there? And one of my biggest fears is being unsuccessful. The next characteristic talks about how twos are excellent listeners and we have a strong sense of empathy. The next one says we can quickly read a room and blend in or stand out. Marie, do you want to elaborate on that one? It's like you can take the temperature of people around you and you're like, okay, what do I need to do to like make sure everyone has a good time? What do I need to do to make sure that people are comfortable, like sacrificing entirely your enjoyment of the evening? But you're like, okay, what can I do to help others have a good time? Like, how can I appear to put others at ease? (laughs) And I feel like sometimes walking into like a party or a bar too, I can kind of read that. I mean, usually I don't take the standout characteristic usually I'm pretty blend in kind of fly on the wall person but if I'm with the right people I can definitely um party definitely I agree with everything you said yeah it definitely uh, what you said at the end of it kind of depends on who you're with too I think 
because that ties into the shame thing again of am I safe with these people do I feel like I'm not being judged do I feel loved by these people if I do something stupid are they going to talk about it later you know like all of these assumptions and questions come into play subconsciously I would say reading a room is something that I pride myself on. Like Marie, I'm very astute when it comes to knowing and predicting exactly how I'm going to act in certain situations with certain people. Something that my counselor told me like my first year I was in counseling and therapy, whatever you want to call it, is the stage analogy. And I love this so much because it helps me as a two-wing three of, so you're on a stage, right? Because you are in your own life and you think that everyone's watching you, right? But if you're on your own, isn't everyone else on their own stage too? Ooh, isn't that just I like, like it just changed my perspective on how to walk into a room? Because no one actually is looking at you. Everyone thinks that everyone else is looking at them. So if everyone else thinks that they're that everyone else is looking at them, then who is everyone looking at? It's so helpful for me with this of reading a room now, and I've grown a lot of like just walking into a room knowing that not everyone's looking at me. Anyway, uh, just a side elaboration. <laughs> um, moving through all of these, we also try to appear optimistic, witty, and engaging. I think that's important, appear. It doesn't mean that we aren't optimistic, witty, or engaging. Um, it just means that we're, I think that we use those qualities to help other people feel comfortable. Um, so some more characteristics. Twos enjoy being a leader and having power. I definitely relate to that as the choir assistant for two years. I was, you know, in charge of 40 singers and sometimes more on, on concert days. And I liked having that power and control over people, which maybe sounds a little bit like <laughs> evil villain. Like <laughs> another one is twos appear friendly and good humor. Yeah, I think that's very Do you have anything to say on that one? To optimistic, witty, and engaging. Uh, same thing. Another characteristic is you enjoy creating strong, deep personal connections. Twos are more driven by success than idealism. Yeah. What do you have to say on that one? I think this is important for us because like earlier we were talking about how you never want to appear, appear unsuccessful. What we do is based on a track record of success in that realm so we don't tend to be spontaneous as a part of our personality. Like I can be spontaneous, but there has to be a safety net there. So it has to be like with people that I trust and that I feel loved around, right? Um, if it's just people I barely know, like I'm not jumping off the rock cliff. No, it's not I have become mm -hmm. more of an idealist in the last few years of like taking that perspective of it could go really well, it could go really bad. What does it matter? And of course, we've had our road bumps and everything and that some days I'm better at it than others. But I would definitely say that this applies to me and I'm working on it for sure. Another characteristic of the two is that they enjoy or two wing three is that they enjoy entertaining others. And I took entertaining that word not to mean like, oh, we like performing for others like being on a stage for others, but more so like hosting others, like entertaining for an evening. We like spending time with others and like creating those environments where we can host people and like have them over. And that's just one way that we really thrive. And I, that makes more sense to me than you enjoy performing for others because yeah, I hate no, performing I for others. a really good <laughs> distinction because, because in a lot of ways you're making someone happy. Like you are giving them a fun night and you did that. 
Um, another characteristic, uh, your, or I guess a two is more focused on giving people quality attention rather than caretaking for them. Do you want to read the next few? Uh, you know how to make people like you. <laughs> yes. We both kind of pause <laughs> and we looked at each other. Yes. <laughs> not in like a sleazy way like that sounds so sleazy I don't I don't even know how to explain it but it's maybe it's just like we're so positive and we're so uplifting and happy and whatever or we know how to read the room and we know what people will necessarily be more drawn to or not drawn to like we can kind of it's not like shape shift but like a little bit of like switching into like you know what we want the vibe to be and I guess that because of that like people tend to like us and be drawn to us but I wouldn't say it's necessarily a sleazy thing at least I don't feel like it's sleazy no I agree I don't know like initially reading it it's like oh cringe um what you're saying about shape shifting I think is really important it's kind of like Taylor Swift's mirror ball her song off of folklore the lyrics um if I remember correctly, are like, I'll show you every version of yourself tonight or every part. And yeah. And that's so true. I think it's so true. Like we give people what we see as what they want, like what they're missing. We provide in hopes that they'll do that for us too. And it's just so toxic for us. I was going to say there is a very thin line where that can be a good thing. But it can also be a very dangerous thing because I've done that for a guy that I liked. I changed a lot of myself because I was like, oh, this is what they want. Like, this is what they'd be drawn to. And then at the end of the day, like, I looked at myself and I was like, oh, my God, like, that's literally not me. Like, it makes me think of Alicia Keys' new song off of her album, whatever, Gramercy Park, I think, where it's, you know, like, you change so much about yourself. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, my God, like, you're not even in love with me. Like, that's not me you're in love with a version of right. me that isn't yeah. real <laughs> yeah there's yeah, such a fine yeah, line it's there such a dangerous <laughs> it's dangerous because you're denying yourself and thank you for sharing your experience too <laughs> all right so <laughs> we enjoy giving people gifts or tokens of affection 110% Marie gives the best gifts ever thank you the older I get the more I think that gift giving is my love language which sounds so materialistic and so awful but I like make a lot of my gifts like it's things that like I spend the time putting in the effort because I just love someone that much that I'm like oh my gosh like this is just how I want to show my love and it's not that I expect you to make something in return or anything like you can just give me a card in return like I literally don't care but like that is just how I express my love for other people like I will notoriously give people like seven gifts for their birthday. I'm like, here you go. (laughs) No, it's so true. Like for Christmas, you gave me this entire goodie bag and it was just so sweet because like all of your gifts to me have been so thoughtful and creative and it just shows like how much, yeah, you really love me, which is so beautiful and how you listen and um, you put your own time and effort into creating something. Yeah, that's sweet of you. Uh, So, of course, we've touched on this before. We are genuinely concerned for others. I would say for me, my genuine concern for others comes from a place of like, I don't want you to feel the same way that I felt. I don't want you to feel unwanted. I don't want you to feel unloved. And I think that's so heartbreaking. And I'm not saying it to be like, oh, sympathy. It's the truth. It is. uh, That is how I feel like if I'm giving you advice Marie like I'm giving you the best advice that I could give because I don't want you to feel the same way I would feel in that situation because I see myself there and I'm like what would I want to hear what would I how would I want to be loved in that moment and it's 
at the same time, it's sad, but it's beautiful. And I think that that speaks to how our hurt and our trauma and our brokenness can help to heal others and in a roundabout way, heal ourselves too. That's kind of like the, one of the big reasons we wanted to make this podcast of like, oh my God, if someone had just told me that, or if someone had just been honest with me and told me that this is how it is, that would have helped me so much. Like that would have given me so much peace and I would have been able to function so much better as a human. So like now I have these tools in my back pocket of this is how I could approach this situation maybe, or, you know, to kind of avoid that hurt and that confusion and that pain in the future, um, if that makes any sense. But yeah, that kind of, you know, spurred the podcast of like, dang, why aren't people just honest that this is the way that life is? Like, why can't we just talk about that? And like, instead of keeping it hush hush or like letting people figure it out for themselves, like, why can't we yeah, help people? <laughs> that kind of a thing. I love what you said. I think that this is the most two wing three of us to ever do. I think we are being selfless in this because we are being really vulnerable and we're trying to help other people. Like you said, Marie, of like giving them the advice that we didn't hear and that we needed. Yeah. So two wing threes are also driven, energetic, and efficient. This one is kind of weird for me because I don't see myself as a driven person, but I think that that's just me being really hard on myself because a lot of days I'll just be honest. I just want to lay in bed and watch TikTok all day. And that's all I want to do. I don't know. I don't think that's very driven. But <laughs> I think you're really driven. You were talking to me like a week ago. You're like, I have this entire life plan. What do you think? And I'm like, that is so cool. Like, I think you're driven, honey. Thank I think you, you don't I give yourself enough credit. <laughs> saying that. I so appreciate you saying that. Because yeah, I agree. Like, I'm definitely too hard on myself about that one. We avoid expressing our needs because we'll, we're afraid that we'll be rejected. Big, scary, boogeyman word. Uh, Marie, do you have thoughts on that one? I don't, yeah, I honestly don't know if I agree with this one, like, because I, and I'm not at all saying this to like, draw pity or make you feel bad or anything like that. But like, I have experienced a lot of rejection in my life, whether it be like, romantically or whatever, like I've experienced a lot of it. And so like, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of putting myself out there and seeing what happens and expressing my needs or my wants. So I guess I'm not super afraid of being rejected. But there are definitely some times where I have been in the past. This is an interesting one because like you don't feel like this completely applies to you. But for me, I think in a roundabout way, it kind of does because I used to not be afraid of rejection. Like, of course, I would get nervous and butterflies and everything. But like, I always would say how I felt. Even just asking a friend to go like a new friend saying, hey, you want to go to dinner? Like, that's vulnerable. For me, at least over time, the rejection piled up. And so I feel a lot of shame towards expressing my feelings now. Uh, and that's obviously something I'm working on. It doesn't apply to every single situation in my life. But um, I, especially romantically, if I'm interested in someone, I won't tell them anymore. I won't do it because it's vulnerable. And I haven't had a success rate there. So we're just not gonna do it at all. <laughs> and here are our last few little mm -hmm. characteristics. Uh, we're energized by making a measurable difference in the world. Um, we feel drained by failing to accomplish our goals. Thinking back to this summer and looking at myself in the mirror and just being like, wow, you just graduated college. You don't have a job. You spend every day in bed. Like you had all these goals for yourself and now you're not accomplishing them. Like I felt like a failure and I felt so horrible about myself and I was so drained and just exhausted by like 
not accomplishing my goals that I'd set for myself. Yeah, I just remember that horrible feeling of being like, wow, I am yeah, definitely. I'm shit right I now. Like <laughs> we put so yeah. much pressure on ourselves to accomplish our goals. And then when we don't, we just feel like worthless. Um, and I agree, like there's a huge fear in mm-hmm. me that if I don't accomplish the goals that I've set out for myself after graduation, I'm going to be a failure of a human. Like that is exactly what my brain thinks every day. Mm-hmm. And the last one, which we've kind of talked about totally. a lot, is uh, we have a passion for serving others and inspiring them. Yeah, so that's the description mm-hmm. of being an Enneagram 2 and yeah. 3. Thanks for listening to all of this. It, it's a long one, but we really appreciate you listening and sticking around. And we hope that you found something to identify with, whether you're a two-wing three or not. Because maybe you have a two-wing three in your life and maybe this helped you understand them a little better. Yeah, check out the Enneagram Institute's free test. It's just, I mean, <laughs> just on the interweb. Yeah, so. <laughs> we just so appreciate all of you for listening. And we'll be putting out some more very soon on very specific topics like what are our future plans? And maybe we'll get into some like current event stuff or we'll invite a friend, but we'll let you know. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.